time now, though, for our regular catch-up with the National Party leadership, and today it is leader Christopher Luxon. Morning, Christopher. Good morning, John. How are you today? I'm very well. Do you think your predecessor, Simon Bridges, might have been onto something a few years back with his assessment of Maureen Pugh, one of your MPs? Look, I mean, um, as Maureen said yesterday, she uh, didn't express herself very clearly. She does fully accept that science uh, consensus that human-induced uh, climate change is real. And uh, you know, as we all know, you can't be living in the 21st century uh, and deny that that's the case. Uh, so, look, um, you know, it was um, frustrating. It was disappointing uh, for her, and um, she's she's accepted that, and um, and she's clarified the position really clearly. What did you think when you heard it? Oh, look, I mean, you just can't, as I you know, said, you can't really be living in the 21st century and just not and deny that human-induced climate change isn't real. Uh, and, you know, this is a party that feels very proud about its record. We're, we're the government that signed New Zealand up to the Paris Agreement. Uh, we're very deeply committed to those net carbon zero goals in 2050. Uh, and, you know, Maureen was unclear. Uh, she fully accepts that, and, uh, and she clarified that statement. Um, and I've also had a chat with her and suggested that there's some you know, articles that she should be reading to, to really deeply understand that science base. Any other national MPs that also need to do a bit of reading, do you think? No, I think, yeah, no, no, I think, you know, our position's been really clear and since I've become the leader, you know, I've, I've been expressing very strongly that we are deeply, deeply committed to those net carbon zero goals. The means by which we deliver them might be different from this government, but um, the bottom line is, you know, it's climate change is real, it's happening and we need to do something about it and we need to play our part in it uh, and that's why we, we support that. It's just the means by which we do it will be different from this government. The only thing I'd say, John, is that, you know, that, you know climate change is about getting results and what we've had is a lot of talk uh, here in New Zealand about it, but actually very little actually getting done underneath the hood. Did and, you, did you know, emissions have been increasing and we've had coal coming in three times more than we had in the, under a national government. Okay. Did you have the same personal commitment to climate change when you were running Air New Zealand? Yeah, I did. And I did quite a bit of work around creating the Climate Leaders Coalition and uh, different bodies um, around getting sustainability thinking into the business community here in New Zealand, and as I'd done a lot of that overseas with Unilever as well. So if um, when it comes to policy... Um, Got an example of um, National Party policy relating to climate change? Well, look, I mean, one of the things you've got to say is what can government uniquely do that other you know, businesses or community groups cannot do in, in, in a country like New Zealand? And the first thing is, you know, it's very difficult to actually get consenting approval for renewable energy projects if you want to build a wind farm in New Zealand. Uh, that can be a very torturous process without, without resource consenting. If you think that's important, uh, which we do think it helps our emissions profile be reduced, we should be making sure that's a much quicker, faster process. Yeah, is, is, the, but is, is the consenting process not necessarily limited to, to those sorts of things, is it? I mean, that, that's a bit of a one-size-fits-all oh, statement. No. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, let's be clear. I mean, New Zealand's consenting process and time length has doubled over the last 10 years. It's costing over a billion dollars a year, I think, uh, for people to get resource consent. That's a, that's a broader issue about RMA, just yeah. adding a lot of bureaucracy yeah, into so, the system as well. But you can't use that as an example of a proactive climate change policy, can you? Well, I think it is. I mean, I think if you can actually say you want to invest in a wind farm here in New Zealand uh, and you think about some of the companies that have been doing joint ventures with other New Zealand organisations, the overseas capital, uh, when they've got choices about where to, where to make those investments anywhere else in the world and we've got some of the slowest uh, consenting, uh, that's not helpful to actually getting renewable projects up and running on the ground. Um, I think there's a lot that we can do around, you know, uh, opening up alternative forms of carbon capture. I think there's a lot that we can be doing in investing in research and development, uh, and, and particularly in the agricultural space, and lead the world in that area. So, if we um, think of recent recent weeks, climate change is, has been to the fore, particularly after the the terrible floods in Gisborne, Hawkes Bay areas in particular, and Northland as well. Um, there was some some 
discussion yesterday about the prospect of tax increases mm. to help cover the bill. What's your reaction to that? I'm not supportive of that. I mean, the bottom line is that we have a major cost of living crisis going on in New Zealand and to reduce people's take-home pay through adding a flood tax on, uh, I just don't think it's the right way to go. I think there's two issues there, John. One is that you've got to get really specific and defined around what the cost of investment needed for that region, uh, for the regions are. Um, and at the moment we've seen estimates of $10 billion and as you know better than anyone from Christchurch, the mix between insurers and taxpayers and what's ultimately paid. But let's get clear on that. And then, you know, let's, we have to borrow for that money and it's appropriate that we do. It's about productivity, enhancing investment in hard infrastructure, which is appropriate. It's not about, you know, borrowing for daily spending. Um, and then we've got to manage that and compartmentalise that spend and then finally make sure things get done. Um, on the other side, then, you still have the issue that existed before, you know, the disaster hit us, which is you've got a government that's managing the, the, the economy incredibly poorly, is being very loose with wasteful spending, is still committed to pet ideological projects like a 30 billion dollar light rail project in Auckland for goodness sake that should be shot uh, and killed off uh, okay. and stopped okay but um, I'm just but just back to back back to the, to the to the borrowing I thought you were anti borrowing no, well, we, we want to make sure we're not taking on uh, debt, but unfortunately, as we've, um, you know, we, we have to take on debt to be able to do this job of, of rebuilding those regions. Uh, and when you borrow for productivity enhancing hard infrastructure, it's like putting an investment in your roof that's going to have a long you know, term benefit versus actually borrowing to pay for your groceries this week, um, which come and go. So, you know, it, it's, um, you know it's not ideal, uh, it's, but that's the reality of it on the ground is that it's appropriate that we do so here. Okay, it was a while. Let's make it defined. Let's not have the looseness that we had around COVID where we borrowed $60 billion and have nothing much to show for it. How, so how, how, would you really ma- how would you make it defined when actually the, the, the extent of the need isn't even known yet? Yeah, but I think we can get that ball parked pretty quickly um, and then actually say, right, now let's go to work on actually getting those roads and those bridges repaired, um, getting that critical infrastructure back in place again quickly. What have you guys, have you guys got a ballpark? Well, I mean, we've heard different estimates of $10 billion, 10 or $12 billion. Um, you know, again, the mix of what's going to be paid by insurers versus the government uh, is still to be determined. I was there on the weekend, John. Um, you know, it's actually, uh, there'll be some work in some of those uh, major towns and cities, uh, but actually, you know, it's largely remote communities that have you know, been cut off and isolated, and, you know, we're going to need to, to build back critical infrastructure to them. It was a long time coming. It was foreshadowed, but because of events, it was somewhat delayed. This is the government's announcement of uh, reintroducing truancy officers or attendance officers, as, as I think they're going to be called. Um, whose responsibility is it when it comes to truancy? Or whose will it be, the truancy officers or still parents? Yeah, well, look, I mean, firstly, I found it a bit rich. You know, Chris Hopkins has been the education minister for the last five and a half years and, you know, finally woken up to the fact there's a truancy or an attendance problem at school. Um, we just got through term three data six months later and, you know, 55% of our kids aren't going to school regularly at the moment. So um, I just thought it was, you know, all a little bit too little too late um, and it hasn't been a focus clearly for the government. And yet, as you say, it is critically important for our future that our kids do better than us. Uh, that's massively the job of us as parents. So it's actually, a con- you know, it's actually a government's got a responsibility, set 
set attendance targets by each individual school. Schools actually uh, are onto it in terms of there's lots of different causes for what drives truancy in their schools, and there are often different reasons, and there are different solutions. It might be anxiety, as you remember, through Christchurch earthquake that led to more counsellors, say, at, at Burnside High. Uh, it might be um, the need for poverty. You know, poverty is a challenge, so it's actually food lunch programs. Uh, it may well be truancy officers and community organisations that actually get involved with those, those families to get them engaged with school again. So there's a range of solutions. And then I just say, look, parents have a responsibility to get their kids to school. Um, you know, we want our kids to do better than we did, and education is the way in which they do that. Did you struggle with your kids getting them to school? Uh, no, not really. I think you know, my grandparents raised my kids, my, my parents to get to school on time. My parents said I had to get to school on time, and, uh, and I've done the same with my kids. It's a parental responsibility, isn't it? Thank you very much for your time. Talk in a couple of weeks. Appreciate it, John. Right, Take thank care. you. That is National Party leader Christopher Luxon.